I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we read that, and as we find that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17. Deuteronomy 5 gives us the Ten Commandments, and as I mentioned before, Deuteronomy 6 then takes us into the commentary on the Ten Commandments, and in verse 17 we find these words, you shall not murder. After the sermon, we will sing Psalm 139, stanza 1. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, immediately following the commandment to honor, respect, and obey those who are set over us is the command, you shall not murder. And more than likely, the Lord had his own divine and holy reasons for structuring the commandments in this way. Honor and respect for those in positions of authority, starting in the home with their fathers and mothers, it quickly changes into violation of the Sixth Commandment once something is said or done that runs contrary to our wishes and desires. It does not take much to turn individuals who once showed love, patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward others into those who dishonor and push aside others. Teenagers can do that toward their parents. Members in the congregation can do that toward one another. They can have such deep-rooted feelings that they actually wish the person were dead, or at least give every impression by their words, deeds, or gestures that they're not interested in having communion and fellowship with them. So the Sixth Commandment speaks out against murder, and with that, abortion, euthanasia, birth control, racism, and suicide. Yet in the first place, it addresses you and me as members of Christ's church and calls us to show respect for human life in the manner in which we live together. For to campaign for life, or to speak out against abortion, and at the same time to show disdain for a fellow brother or sister in Christ is an inconsistency, and it boils down to nothing else but hypocrisy. And that is why we are to get rid of all bitterness, anger, envy, and desire of revenge instead, and instead we must protect the name and the reputation of our neighbor against all harm. A disrespect for life. That's not a modern invention or problem. Down through the ages of human history, the story is the same. Yet the lack of respect for life, which is all around us, must stop short at the door of the church. Here, in the assembly of God's people, in the life of the church, 
you must see the fruit of Christ's redeeming love. This is where you must see a people showing thankfulness to the Lord for the salvation granted to us in Christ. We are to value life since it is God who gives it, renews it, and uses it for his purpose. This afternoon we will look at the significance of the sixth commandment, also in its application in Deuteronomy. And we'll do so under the following theme. In the sixth commandment, our Lord teaches us to respect human life. And we'll look at two things. By receiving the breath of life, pro-life is supported. And then secondly, by the promotion of mutual life, evil life is aborted. So the Lord our God teaches us to respect human life. And we'll see two things. By receiving the breath of life, pro-life is supported. And then by the promotion of mutual life, evil life is aborted. The respect for human life, which the Lord our God requires of us in the sixth commandment, runs contrary to the theory of evolution. Theory of evolution proclaims human life to be an accident of nature, the end of a process that began in the random collision of chemicals and energy. And those who are most fit survive, while the weak pass away. The Word of God, however, proclaims the Lord's particular investment in and concern for human beings. Mankind was created as the crown of God's creation. He was made in his image and given a position of honor above all other creatures. And this is why the life of every individual is to be protected and valued. Whether they are strong, beautiful, Weak, sickly, disabled, or hurting. What God requires in the sixth commandment receives deeper meaning if we consider it within the context of God's all-encompassing demand, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holiness means very plainly separated for service. In creation, God separated the man and the woman from all the other creatures and gave them a special place. The Lord God created, breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, and they became living beings. And interestingly, this is something that is said of no other living creature. And notice Genesis 2 says very specifically that it is God who breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. Human beings are filled with God's breath. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? This is what sets us apart, makes our heart beat, our face break out into a smile, our feet move, our brain think. God breathes in us. He gives us mental, emotional, physical capacities. God makes human beings, homo sapiens, 
into something special, separated from all other life. People are made to live in a relationship with the living God. Mankind walks with God and talks with God. And every subsequent human being after Adam is to join in and fulfill that task. A duty which supports and defends pro-life. But it doesn't take very long and things change. Mankind loses sight of his holy task, turns away from the Lord and no longer has respect for life. He fends for himself and he looks after his own best interests. And when there is no fear of God and for God, matters go from bad to worse. People become selfish. They push aside everyone who stands in their way. Murder is a sign of that moral depravity. The sovereign God is replaced by the sovereignty of self. Man kills off communication with God and with others. Life is no longer understood as being in a relationship with a holy God, but is equated with mere existence. And so if you ask a person today, how are you doing? They will not say necessarily, bless the Lord, O my soul. So we talked about that this morning. But we shouldn't be surprised if they bark back at you while I'm alive, aren't I? Brothers and sisters, when people wander away from the truth, respect for the sanctity of life is replaced by the insignificance of life. We acknowledge that it is the Lord who gives a child a task before birth. God says to the prophet Jeremiah, I called you when you were still in the womb. But secular humanism tells us that the fetus is nothing more than blood and tissue. They suggest people are nothing more than a random accumulation of molecules which have evolved over an enormous period of time by chance. You just happen to turn out the way you do. And what you become is largely determined by your environment. Brothers and sisters, once you turn away from God, moral decline is rapid. To give you one modern example of how one's view of life becomes warped. In 1948, doctors in the World Medical Association made the following declaration. I will maintain the utmost respect for human life from the time of conception. And the United Nations made a declaration in 1959 protecting the needs of a child before as well as after birth. But today, many physicians perform abortions as if it was the most normal procedure. And medical ethicists urge us to strip away the religious mumbo-jumbo surrounding human life 
because the life of a human is nothing special. And it's a woman's right to do with the fetus as she pleases. And all of this shouldn't really surprise us. Because life that is not reborn by the breath of the Spirit will not show concern for the life of the unborn. If you do not know Christ, life is meaningless from the dawn of life to its evening shadows. And the result of such thinking is this. If you don't like the way your life is going, go ahead and commit suicide. After all, non-existence may be better for you than having to suffer from some ailment. And if you grow old and a little funny in the head so that you cannot think straight, Why not let a doctor do something to put you out of your misery? But those who are redeemed in Christ need to have a different attitude toward life. God says to us, you, people of God, shall not murder. You must be pro-life because you have a mandate to be holy as I am holy, to demonstrate what it means to be created in my image. The universal call of the gospel is repent and believe, and you will have life, the breath of life in my name. At the same time, do not rob anyone of the opportunity of repenting by taking matters into your own hands and murdering him. And isn't also this the reason why the Lord says in Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. God didn't breathe into man the breath of life as some some poor planned joke. But in order that we might be enabled to fulfill our task as his children, And since we failed, he comes again. And he delivers us from death and breathes in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the motivation behind the commandment, you shall not murder. You have been set free from the slavery of following the dictates of your own heart, of your own soul and mind, through the power and the work of Jesus Christ. Since sin entered the world, the sanctity of life has another dimension. We are separated to service by being separated from sin. Christ has sanctified you, made you holy and blameless before God through atonement and reconciliation. And so, brothers and sisters, you, more than anyone else in the world, are to be pro-life. Christ allows you to live in a relationship with the Lord, to dwell in His presence, and to speak to Him. His Spirit hovers over you, instilling in you the breath of life. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, the place 
where the Spirit works holiness. And being pro-life in a truly biblical sense stands for more than being against the physical abortion of babies and speaking out against it. Is the abortion of the unborn wrong because it infringes on the rights or the intrinsic human worth of a baby? Not really. Children are conceived and born in sin. We'll hear that again this afternoon. But the life of the unborn is to be protected as God-given. And he alone may determine the course that life is going to take. And such respect for the holiness of life is to be reflected in the life of God's people. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, through chapter 22, verse 11, teaches us how. And the first topic that is addressed in this section may surprise us somewhat. We read it this afternoon. We're told there about how an Israelite ought to behave when going out to war. But how can a person be pro-life out on a battlefield. Beloved, the setup of these chapters is actually quite beautiful. There's a neat transition that takes place from the fifth to the sixth commandment. You know how the fifth commandment ends with the promise of long life in the land which the Lord God will give those who honor those set in authority over them. But how are they going to get into the land? to the land of Canaan and dispossess their enemies without shedding blood and without warfare. In a hostile environment, the church cannot avoid confrontation. Having peace with God, there will be war with the enemy. The world will hate us for having peace with God. But even in war, Israel was taught to be pro-life. War is never approved so that you can go ahead and kill as you please. God gives guidelines for war. Many wars and methods of combat receive the stern rebuke and threat of God's judgment. Amos strongly protested a ruthless scorched earth policy in war in warfare and Moses imprints on the minds of God's people the respect for God-given life while waging a battle starting with what happens in their own ranks the first thing that needs to be clear is that the God of life is with them a man who did not have an opportunity to dedicate his new house that he built or to enjoy the fruit of a newly planted vineyard or to spend time with the woman he was engaged to marry, he could go back home with those who were just too nervous to fight. And Israel's pro-life policy was to be apparent in the treatment of the enemy too. 
The Lord put a ban on all cruelty and unnecessary bloodshed. Ruthless slaughter of women and children was forbidden. God only allowed the killing of the Canaanite women and children whom he had cursed. Upon invading other towns or cities, Israel was to offer terms of peace before a sword would be drawn. They were not allowed to go to war for all-out destruction in a fit of anger or hatred. And even the fruit trees, trees to sustain life, were not to be used for siege work. And they were to be left alone afterward. Read about that in chapter 20, verse 19 and 20. And this tells us something about our modern forms of weaponry as well, doesn't it? Weapons of mass destruction, nuclear and chemical weapons, bombings of whole cities show disrespect for life and shouldn't be advocated by those who are pro-life. And then chapter 21 continues with guidelines and applications of the Sixth Commandment once the people of God possess the land of Canaan. Murder is not permitted in the land of the living. Among the people God has sanctified and chosen to everlasting life. Amends had to be made for murder committed by an unknown person. And if the murderer could not be found, the death sentence would be performed on a substitute, namely a heifer. It's chapter 21, verse 1 through 9. And a rebellious son would be put to death because he did not show respect for the holiness of life. He could be a negative influence on his family and the whole community. Chapter 21, verse 18 through 21. And a captive woman had to show willingness to be part of the pro-life people. And this is why she had to shave her head, trim her nails, and put off her captive garb. Chapter 21, verse 10 through 14. And furthermore, the sanctity of God-given life would be seen in the way Israel, as a sanctified people, would treat God's creation. Exploitation of the earth, reckless use of its creatures, its animals, was strictly forbidden. Chapter 22, verse 6 and 7. The Lord gave animals for food. But those animals need to be taken care of properly. That they didn't become extinct. And that is why the Israelites were not allowed to take a bird and the young ones and the eggs. Those who are pro-life are concerned about the balance of nature and care for creation. They treat the environment with respect. God created animals primarily for his honor and then for our use and not our misuse. Christians don't have to become vegetarians. God gave animals for food. Although there may be similarities in habits and behavior at times, Pigs and monkeys 
are not our brothers and sisters. But we may not abuse, torture, or tease animals. We respect all that God has created. We have a tremendous task, brothers and sisters, to convey and witness to the world what it means to be pro-life, what it means to have a respect for life. There is far more at stake than standing at a street corner and holding up a sign protesting abortion. Are you concerned for life? Are you pro-life? Don't just think about it in terms of what is happening to the unborn. But think about those children who are being murdered alive because they're not being taught to know the Lord Jesus and to live in a relationship with Him. And that means that we may have to warn anti-abortionists that they are killing themselves and their children as long as they do not represent God in true holiness and as long as they do not seek their life completely in the Lord Jesus. To live by a message that suggests anything but salvation through Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life is a message that is really not all that different than the pro-choice message. God has given us a Savior who has breathed in us the breath of life through the Spirit, who has given us a Bible, which 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 tells us is God-breathed. The Bible is God's word of life to us in which we are also taught the sanctity of life. For living as children of the Lord has implications for our life together. Come to our second point. A God forbids murder. The unlawful killing of a person. And we're all pretty clear on that, aren't we? But the application of the sixth commandment goes much deeper and both the Bible and our confessions make very clear what these implications are. God strips away all layers of false piety to to uncover what is under the surface of all killings and murder. There are numerous ways in which we can kill ourselves or others without ever picking up a knife or a gun. Murder can be self-induced by unnecessarily exposing ourselves to danger through reckless driving, speeding, and other ways. I sin against the sixth commandment by willful neglect of health through bad eating habits, by inactivity and slothfulness, by letting my body waste away through excessive dieting. These things are forbidden because they take us away from the purpose why God has given life in the first place. And furthermore, 
And furthermore, the instruction of the Lord in this commandment calls us to be at peace with the things God has given us in life instead of enviously looking over our shoulder at what others have and are able to do. The sixth commandment forbids any deed, thought, word, look, or gesture that belittles, insults, or harms my neighbor. All envy, hatred, anger, desire of revenge belongs to an evil life which must be aborted. Abortion is to deliberately take away something prematurely. And that what needs to happen to our evil life. Abort evil before it has an opportunity to be born or mature in our lives. The thought, oh, I could kill that guy. If I could only get my hands on him should not even cross your mind. When was the last time that you had an evil thought about a person? Abort it. We are being transformed by the renewal of our hearts and minds. Being pro-life. We shouldn't be feeding hateful thoughts by watching violent movies. Or playing violent video games. It's not innocent fun. And why waste your time on this? When you are to actively promote life. And Christians shouldn't be indiscriminately listening to music that is dark and evil. And that promotes violence and suicide. Children of God who are pro-life shouldn't be in places where there is a lot of drinking and where things can easily get out of hand. Is this stretching it too far? But that's what's behind the laws mentioned in Deuteronomy 22 where we're instructed not to sow our vineyards with two kinds of seed. Or plow with an ox and a donkey. Or wear clothes mingled with wool and linen together. For these laws told Israel very plainly. Don't lead a double life. Don't import heathen elements into your lifestyle. Because it is going to kill you. As a sanctified people. It's going to distract you. Brothers and sisters, this commandment takes us to the basics of how we are to live with each other as children of God. All gestures that do not promote mutual life must be banned, including the looks that kill, and all fits of rage and anger that upset others. We are to abort it now, before such works become a part of your life. And this is the abortion which must take place. Because we are not only pro-life, but supporters of mutual life as well. Lay aside all enmity, hatred, and envy, and live with each other in true love and unity. We need to abort all evil words about each other. 
What does it help to highlight the weaknesses of others? Why do we tell stories and jump to conclusions about other people? Children, do you go around insulting others, making fun of them, calling them nasty names? Do you know what Christ says about that? Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, to hellfire. And why does Christ say that? Because it's murder. Aborting an evil life digs deeper still. Applying the sixth commandment, Moses warns Israelite fathers and mothers not to favor one child over the other. They're all creatures of God, covenant children. Chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. We shouldn't be saying things like, well, why can't you be more like your sister? She is helpful. And what have you done to contribute to the family? How often don't we put on a pedestal those whom we consider gifted intellectually, musically, or in sports activities? It starts already with babies. Did you ever notice that a cute baby gets so much more attention than those less attractive? And if a cute child has a collision with a coffee table all of a sudden they don't get attention we are pro-life are we not God made the children including those with special needs and those who may have features we find less attractive Children are not all the same. And they should not be made to fit the same mold. And that also means that we shouldn't be jealous of those who have more talents than we do in certain areas. So how do you react when others do better than you do? Are we jealous of the talents, machinery, vehicles, Homes of others? Why are we teaching our children to do their best? Is it for the glory of God or because we want to boast? Our whole way of thinking has become accustomed to the fastest growing business, the best sellers, the best students, the wonderful children. But do you think God really cares whether you beat out the fellow down the road from you. In our world, winning is everything, and no one loves a loser. Doing better than someone else is far more important than doing well. Well, brothers and sisters, we must love the loser as much as the winner. The winner doesn't take it all. We need to take care of the needs of and be patient with the one who does not do as well as the other. 
rather than putting a high price tag on making some people feel good about themselves, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And thank God, the Christian church is not only for people who are smart or who excel. We shall love them all, not getting quickly irritated when people do not understand us immediately. We are to love to the point of seeking the personal safety of our brother or sister. That's the instruction of Deuteronomy 22, verse 8, where the Israelites are told to build a low wall around the roof of their houses so that no one should fall off. Safety measures are not only common sense, but they are items which belong to the sixth commandment. Bosses who are pro-life will ensure the safe working conditions that they exist for their employees. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm pretty sure that we have enough to go home and chew on. Aborting an evil life implies that each of us is going to reach over fences that we have put up, and we will promote mutual life. As those who are in Christ, you're not allowed to hurt, but instead you need to help. You shall not destroy, but you shall build the life and the reputation of your neighbor. And in that way, you can expect the Lord's blessing, eternal communion with him in a holy life that never ends. Amen.